0: And the sidelines. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily.
1: Promise, Mess, I wouldn't do this.
0: McDavid stops up. What a move! Shoots! Scores! Hey everybody, welcome to The Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. I'm Bryn Griffiths, he's Robin Brownlee, and joining us on the program. You know, usually we wait six months before we get guests back on. We couldn't this time around. Last time he was on, he was talking about the newsmakers as we headed into the postseason. Now he's a newsmaker. Craig McTavish joins us on the show. Okay, assistant coach or associate coach of the St. Louis Blues, what is it? Assistant. Okay. Just wanted to double check. Yeah. Uh, I guess the the very first question right out of the gate is, so where did this come from?
1: That's a good question. Uh, It morphed from my incredible boredom last winter where (laughs) it it, it was uh, really the first winter in, uh, I I don't know, got to be 30 years where I, I, I didn't really work for a team or have anything going, I did a bit of broadcasting with Sportsnet, as you guys know, but it wasn't near busy enough. And so I was really bored and, you know, wanted to get back in doing something. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it looked like Jimmy Montgomery, who was their assistant coach in St. Louis, prior to taking the head coaching job in Boston. Uh, when he moved on there, that opened up a spot. And, uh, you know, I, I was in, talking to Doug Armstrong uh, about the possibility and it it ended up working out well. I played there for a year and a half and uh, really enjoyed my time in St. Louis. And I'm looking forward to one, getting back uh, into the NHL in a coaching capacity and going back into St. Louis.
2: Mac, um, I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I, You know, I saw you glad handing down in the moss pit there during the uh, playoffs a little bit and doing uh, some analysis on Sportsnet. Um, it's like you're close to the game there, but I'm thinking I don't know if that's close enough. Um, you seem yeah. to have this—you have this desire to get back behind the bench. Uh, what's that drive? Just do it. Do it while you've got a chance, or what?
1: I think what I want to do is I want to uh, have some fun coaching and uh, I want to be in an environment where uh, I know and respect the people. Uh, Certainly the case in uh, St. Louis where I've worked with Doug Armstrong in the past Mm. at uh, a world championship and uh, played briefly with uh, Craig Berube too as well here in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, I know them both to be, you know, fantastic hockey people and good people. And, uh, you know, I want to lend my experience to some players. I don't necessarily want the responsibility of being a head coach and all the things that go with that. I want to have a uh, lesser role and I want to I try and lend my experience to uh, an organization and, more importantly, to, to players and uh, teach and coach hockey.
0: We, all three of us, go back 30-plus years. So, you know, while you're playing in the NHL, I'm kind of looking at you and going, you know what, he's, uh, of course, everybody was laughingly calling you the professor because you had the spectacles and you thought the game the way you did. And I always figured, GM, GM, GM. But it just seems to me you're the natural coach. And do you feel that way too? Is coaching the big thing for you over over being the guy at the very top I I don't know. I, I, I've been perplexed by it.
1: Two jobs are so incredibly different. Yeah. Uh, The the thing I like about coaching is uh, you know, it ends at some point, right. You know, it's really busy during the winter and uh, obviously it takes your full and complete attention during the winter, but the season ends and you can get away from it and recharge the batteries and uh as the manager it, it never ends right and uh, I mean you're not as you're, you're not as busy during the season as the coach would be by any stretch but it just never ends and you fill idle time with a, a, a bunch of projects and uh, development camps and the draft of free agency and I mean it maybe you get a little bit of a break uh you know midway through july to to midway through august before your you know development uh your rookie camp start and so forth but it's it's uh it's it's a much different job and different pressure points for sure
0: does that change also the way you look at it as a coach now do you view it a little bit differently because you've done the other position too
1: yeah there's you, you can lend that perspective there's always you know, you see the game with a little bit different perspective uh, from coaching and managing. I mean, managing your, you know, your, you've got an eye certainly on the future, and uh, you're you're more development oriented than the coach would be. So, from from a coach coaching perspective, I mean, I have a better appreciation of uh the manager's point of view in terms of allocation of ice time and what uh what their wishes are in terms of uh allocation of ice time and uh i think that's that that's important too as well and you know like here in edmonton i was here for so many years that you know through not too many regimes Uh, i mean i i worked with glenn and for glenn for a long time and obviously worked with kevin and for kevin for a long time but there was always you know uh, a a lot of cooperation i mean the oilers were really about three things uh since i was here in in 1985 and hard work i mean glenn Saylor always said it was a lifestyle it's not a job it's a lifestyle for sure and it's hard work is rewarded in this business uh, cooperation for sure. Where the organization, the various parts of the organization cooperate with one another. with one another players, with coaches, coaches, with managers, trainers, players, everybody's got to cooperate. And of course, good humor. You know, you've got to have some fun along the way. And uh, <laughs> you know, we, we had our fair share of that. And you know, that, that, that Glenn, that, Glenn was really good that way because he always had external interests outside of the game where he was snowmobiling, hunting, shooting, fishing, golfing. You know, he had a lot of interests and in, in skiing, and he always encouraged us as players to do that and get away from the game and, and do, do, do other things and have some fun with it and now, begin.
2: <laughs> it's been... Don't even take into account your long playing career, Mac. Uh, you, you were last an assistant in 99-2000. So that's 22 years. And you've touched on how it's a change from being a head coach. The other thing I look at here, uh, and, and maybe you could discuss it, the dynamic of coaching on a staff uh, of this age with this much experience. I was looking through the coaches the coaching staff in St. Louis with your addition has over 3,300 games as players uh, in the league, with Berube and you over a 1,000, uh, Mike Van Ryn and Steve Ott. Uh, what's the dynamic going to be working with that crew? Because it, I think of a lot and I just smile because he was, he was so good with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, trash talk as a player. What's he going to be like? What is What's he like as a coach? Do you know?
1: That, that's a good question. But, uh, you know, in speaking to Doug and Craig, I mean, uh, he, he, he's held in very high regard in that organization. And you would think, when you think of Steve Ott and the way that he played, that he would gravitate more to the uh, defensive, hard-nosed, gritty aspects of the game. But, you know, according to those guys, he's got a really good offensive head and does a lot of the uh, works the power play with Craig. Uh, works on the power play has a lot of, uh, a lot of progressive ideas offensively hmm. and uh, you know, is really tasked with a lot of the offensive opponents to their overall game plan. So uh, I had him once when I coached uh, in Germany at a world championship, he was on our team. And uh, I mean, he, he, uh, he was a bit like Bucky the way that uh, he approached the game. You know, he was always looking to justify his spot in the lineup. And he had a significant amount of skill. I mean, to play in the top two lines in the NHL, mm-hmm. you have to have so much skill. Those guys are, are uh, unique. And uh, he had a lot of skill, maybe not the elite top six skill. But he did have a lot of skill, and if he wasn't getting it done offensively, like Bucky, he was looking to contribute uh, physically, albeit uh, you know, with hits or fights or whatever the case may be. But my sense was he was a, a, a really good, uh, really good teammate in the short period of time that I was able to coach him.
0: It may be too early to ask this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So what areas do you think you're going to be working on? I'm assuming face-offs will be one area, though. How are they in the face-off circle? Are they not bad? Have you had a chance to look at their numbers at all yet?
1: Well, they have Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Man, I'm, I, I, I've always really admired him and the value that he's brought. Ever since one of my iterations with the Oilers, I, was, uh, I had five pro teams, Buffalo being one of them. And uh, I saw him quite a bit uh, as a, when I was pro-scouting Buffalo. And man, that guy does a lot. And, uh, you know, if the Oilers could have a guy like that, they, 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 they would have given Colorado a run for their money. But he's great in the face-off circle, you know, certainly above adequate uh, offensively. And, you know, there's nothing. Nothing in the game that that guy's skill set doesn't touch, and then they have young centerman uh, uh, Thomas is a, a guy that I saw a lot when he played in London. He reminded me a lot of uh, Jordan Everly the way the skill set, his hand skill. He's he's uh, an evolving player. Uh, Jordan Cairo too. So that I mean they they have. Uh, uh, a, a lot of good centermen. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with them.
0: The other thing too, uh, and, and every time I think of St. Louis, one word comes to mind. I don't know if it's one word or two, but the word is underrated. And you've played there. You played, they were there longer than Gretz. Anyway, the, uh, the, uh, the one thing that I always think about St. Louis is a city underrated. I always enjoyed going there. Uh, thought of the hockey fans there. They're always underrated, yet they're always there. Uh, the hockey team, Underrated. Look at what they did in the playoffs last this past season. They they surprised Minnesota. Everybody was looking at Minnesota. Found a way to get by those guys. But underrated to me is is the St. Louis Blues. It's got to be exciting going back to a market that you know is a hockey town.
1: Well it is, yeah. I, I I mean, I really appreciated the way that they played the game. To me, they were the best defensive team in the league for a long time. The Oilers used to go in there and I mean when you play good teams. Every pass is contested. There are no direct passing lanes. like you're going through sticks uh, when the pass is completed, you're into the checking and every pass is contested. And to me, that's, that's rare. I mean, those teams are elite. I always believe that, you know, if you're going to be a championship caliber team, you have to have the ability to win the game one, nothing. I mean, the offense can be a little fickle. It comes and it goes at times, but the defense is there for you night in and night out if you choose it. And, uh, I mean, St. Louis had that ability and still has that ability, and they gave Colorado a great run. They lost, I mean, in game six with four seconds to go in the sixth game, they gave up a goal to to to, to be eliminated by Colorado. But yeah. You know, when you when you look at the, the level of uh, pushback that any teams have had against that juggernaut Avalanche team, St. Louis was a team that gave them maybe the most uh, trouble. Well,
2: I mean, the Avalanche. Uh, I mean, for my money, I thought the Oilers were a pretty good team, and the the black and white shows a four game sweep uh, against the Oilers. Uh, with the Blues, this was a hundred nine point team, Mac. They were only they were a forty nine win team. There's a lot to work with here when you look at it through a coach's eyes now, as opposed to an analyst on TV. What do you see when you look at this club?
1: Well, lots of opportunity. I mean, uh, there's there's always areas of improvement that teams could have, but you have to have the personnel and. Uh, you know, what What did, uh, was it Scotty Bowman that said, when I get off the bus with the best players, I'm the best coach. Yeah. And you, you have to have the personnel. And uh, they have depth. I mean, in the cap era, there's always uh, friction points with your lineup as you go through the summer and into the fall as you start your team. So we'll see how that all plays itself out. But uh, the personnel and the uh uh, the potential is there. I mean, they're you know three years off of a Stanley Cup championship, so but with a lot of the same uh, a lot of the same people that are still there.
0: Hey, you, you mentioned Scotty Bowman. Are there other coaches? I know Slats would be one of them too. But are there other coaches that you would look at and say, "I, I took a little bit of his style" or "I took some of his strategy"? Are, are there other coaches that you look at? It's easy to ask former players who they respected and admired when they played. But what about coaching?
1: Well, the same for me, I took something from everybody. I mean, it's when I played at the end of my playing career, I always had an eye on coaching. When I was here, the last few contracts I had with Glenn, I always had a coaching component to the one year playing and a two year coaching component to the contracts. So I, that, I, I viewed that as a real luxury. I still have the book that I used to keep and write down drills that I thought really worked for me as a player that I liked the practices and tactics that I liked from guys like John Muckler for sure. You know, Mike Keenan was less a tactical guy and more of a kind of motivational dictatorial Type of presence, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, But all those guys, Terry Terry Murray. I mean, he he was uh, a really good tactical coach too, as well. So I was always compiling books and power play drills and penalty kill drills and flow drills and bag skates that that uh, that I I thought worked well for me. Like you had a bag
0: you had a bag skate plan. Oh yeah. Really?
1: (laughs) Well, we used to I mean, no, those days are probably over. Yeah. But we used to, uh, I mean when I was going to get the players and as a player, I felt like, you know, I don't want to be beat up verbally anymore. Like just take me out, beat me up on the ice, skate me into the ground and say goodbye. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I didn't want to be berated anymore. <laughs> That's <laughs> enough. With our team, just take me out and punish me on the ice and say goodbye. So I used to do that once in a while with our players. And uh, I would lead Billy and Charlie in the dressing room because there's no sense them coming out when there's not going to be any drills or any pucks. And I would go out there and I would, I would, uh, you know. <laughs> Hag these guys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it 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 had its effectiveness. I mean, you can't. I don't know that you can do it. I don't know that anybody does it anymore because the the the, the schedules got so crazy that uh, yeah, you know, you're trying to fit in you know five or six day breaks into a, a tightened schedule, and I mean, it's just it's it's unrelenting. Even when I went to the American League as a coach, it was like a holiday. Because, I mean, you you played Friday, Saturday, Sunday a lot of times. But you had, generally, you'd have a Sunday afternoon game. So you'd have Monday off. And Tuesday, you'd come to the rink and recharge and have a little practice. And Wednesday, you'd have a harder practice. Thursday, you'd start your prep for Friday's game. But it was it was like a holiday, but in the NHL, every day is Saturday. You know, it just—it's an unrelenting schedule for the, the travel and the amount. You know, your good players play that there's there's not a lot of practice time in the NHL in today's schedule. I, I mean, I really think that there's too many games. I think we'd be all benefited uh, by shortening the schedule, but I mean, it's nobody wants to take the pay cut
2: is there a, I should know this, but I don't Mac. Uh, is there a, P, a P, NHLPA uh, component or do they have any say uh, in the bag skate? Because it seems to be a, uh, it seems to be a tactic of a, an era gone by. I'm sure. I don't know if they still happen, but, but um, it seems to be fading away.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of rules now. I remember when, uh, when uh, I I took over there for a short period of time after Dallas uh, left, Dallas Akins left, yep. and before uh, Todd Nelson came in, that we were in Calgary, we played in Calgary, and uh, we lost. And so I called a practice for the next day. I mean, it might have been a scheduled day off at some point in their schedule, but... You know, I thought it was important that we practice. And I remember flying back, Andrew parents came up to the front of the plane and told me that we I couldn't practice at that time because there's a window of rest that the players have to get uh, between when the plane touches down and when they're back at the practice rink. And... Uh, and... That, 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 so, so there's a bit of that. I said, okay, well, we'll practice at three o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, great. Yeah. So there, there's a bit more of that. Um, yeah. they, you have to deal with it. The, there's, there's mandatory days off now too as well that, you know, it's probably all, all, all it, it's just, you know, it's common sense that players need the time off, but, Sometimes it's, it's these are rules that are put in place for, for uh, people at times and coaches at times that, that lack perspective on what, uh, what's uh, realistic for the players.
0: So we talk about too many games, and I'm with you. I think that I'd like to go back to uh, – 72 seemed like a good number to me in the, in the old days anyway, But but now I see there's less and less actual on-ice practice and more stuff where guys just get together in the room – and they break down strategy. Do you still believe heavily in on ice stuff? Or do you think there's too much put into that? I
1: believe that you can't expect to uh, introduce a tactic into your team and have it executed the way you want it executed without going through it in practice. Okay. And uh, I mean, you can go up there and explain it on the board, and it's clear to you exactly what you want as you're explaining it to the team, but when you go out there on the ice, it's quite clear to 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 me that something's lost in translation, and you have to get out there on the ice. John Muckler used to go out and we'd be doing defensive zone coverage, and we' he'd blow the whistle and he'd come and he'd move you six inches, you know like you'd, yeah <laughs> you're just you know just. I think it was more just to prove the point that details matter. And, uh, I mean, I really believe that as a coach that you, I mean, not all coaches believe that, but I've not had or seen a lot of, uh, coaches be able to initiate a, a tactic and have it executed the way it needs to be executed without running it through practice. And the the other thing, Robin mentioned, I haven't been an assistant coach since 1999 when I worked with uh, Kevin. And I'm anxious to see somebody else do it and really excited to watch somebody else do it. And when you're the head coach, you know, like there are ways and and, uh, avenues that you can use to, you know, explain things, little nuances and the ways so there might be a, a better way to explain the same tactic or principle or, or, uh, or skill. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, watching somebody else do it.
2: I look forward to seeing two coaches of, uh, your vintage uh, with Craig and, uh, uh the two Craig's, I guess, uh, you know, y- your age, you're from a different era. You were, you played in a different era. You're coaching today. Things have changed so much. One of the things I was thinking about is you were just talking now, the move away from morning skates by a lot of teams. Um, how to old how did two old hockey players like you and, uh, Craig Barube uh, Uh, run this hockey club next year. To me, it it looks really interesting
1: from the outside. Yeah, well, morning skates, I used to enjoy morning skates as a player because it was really the only time you had as a player where it was, you know, fairly loosely structured, where you had an opportunity to go out and work on things that you, you felt like you needed as a player, not necessarily things that coaches were talking to you about. Yeah. And as a coach, I liked the morning skate because we always had great energy in the morning skate. I like routine in the morning skate where, you know, the players knew the drills. You didn't spend a lot of time at the board. You snap the puck around. Uh, you look sharp. You get off the ice. I, I enjoyed the morning skates as a player and as a coach. It, but it, it, we're in an era of uh, – collaboration, right? Where you have to listen to your players. And, uh, I mean, I had Alex Hemsky who I love dearly as a player and that guy would lay it on the line at the most critical moments. And, but if I asked him 20 times how he's feeling during the year, he'd be, Oh, really tired, Mac, really.
2: tired,
1: (laughs) And, uh, so You know, but yeah, you have you have to you you have to uh, listen to the players, and uh, I I think you you get more out of them when you collaborate. Where when I played, it was you did what the coach asked you to do because it was a dictatorial relationship, right? Uh, Machiavellian relationship, better to be feared than loved. Uh, But in today's era you get more from including the players and the art of coaching is, uh, to get the players to do what you need them to do because, uh, because they think it's their idea. Yeah. And I mean, it's, that and that you get more, a higher level buy-in. And when you get the higher level buy-in, you get greater execution and uh you know really the guys that really do it well now the very trots of the world they're people people right they connect with players they connect with people and uh they inspire people and uh you know it's it's that that's more the art of coaching now than than the tactical part of it i mean the tactics are important but you have to manage people if you're going to maximize the potential of the people that you
0: have. Hey, staying with a morning skate. I, I, I don't know why I've never asked this question before, but so often I'd go and watch a morning skate and the guys would look like they were just flying and then just come out and, uh, and shit the bed that night. And, and then there were days where the morning skate was a disaster yet. The team was on fire that night. Why, why is that just me viewing it that way? Or did I, did I buy into that's how it always seemed to work. I knew could never tell how a team was going to be on a morning skate. But you, as an NHL coach, how much stock did you put into that morning skate in terms of execution coming up that night?
1: Well, I used to lose it at uh, the sloppiness in the morning skate. And, uh, you know, it it just looked like a lack of focus. So at one point, Billy and I sat down and I said to Billy Moore's, we we got to chart this. Is there any correlation between the morning skate and the per, the the performance in the evening? And so Billy and I at the end of the, the morning skate would rate the morning skate, and then we'd rate the game. And there was zero correlation between <laughs> okay. a good morning skate and a good game. So you're 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 bang on in your observation that that uh, you know we we. Uh, we did our own independent analysis of that. and There's very little correlation, but that still doesn't mean you can be sloppy. Uh, I mean, that's ultimately being sloppy in practice. is, is, is never good, but uh, in the, between the morning skate and the game, there's very little correlation between high level morning skate, high level game.
2: Mac, what's the rest of the – I mean, we're on a different timetable here because we're, everything's been backed up just a little bit, you know, free agency and, and the draft and the like. Uh, what's your schedule like for the rest of the summer before you jump into it with both feet with the Blues?
1: Uh, I'm going to go to St. Louis uh, the middle of the month for uh, a little bit of development camp that they have coming out of the draft and uh you know reacquaint myself with some of the staff there's a few guys that are still there that were there when uh, mike caruso that i think he's a vice president now but he was the pr director back when i was playing there uh ray barelli was the trainer he's Mm -hmm. still the trainer there uh and of course many different people in the organization so I'll use uh, those three or four days to familiarize myself with some of the personnel, uh, obviously the, 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 the drafted players and the prospects and so forth, but the staff, and it'll give us a chance to sit down and uh, with the coaching staff and see, you know, how, what, what their uh, mindset is for training camp and how they want to organize training camp, et cetera.
0: So the question has to be asked because you've been a fixture around here. Is this a full-time move to St. Louis for you and Debbie, or is this going to be your summer location and St. Louis is the winter location.
1: I'll always live here. I mean, this is my home. Edmonton is my home for sure. Uh, I love the three months of summer.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful it's three just, months.
1: It's a beautiful three months. It's a long winter as we all know. And uh, to survive it, Certainly at my age, you need some place in the South, but uh, no, I, 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 I love it here. And uh, you know, Switzerland's a beautiful country. I was there for a year and a half, but when you when your friends and your family aren't around, yeah. it's I uh, I don't care how beautiful it is. You miss home. And uh, this is certainly home for me.
0: Thanks for coming on with us again on such short notice. You're sounding way better. The last time you were on, you had a horrible cold. You're sounding much better today. It was
1: awful, yeah. I I mean, that thing I told you lasted. it was like the plague. But I'm feeling better now. Well,
0: I took a lot of shit at home from my better half who said, I can't believe you put Craig through that. How bad. Like, come on, Seriously. (laughs) had a lot of empathy out there for you on that, on that particular one, but the time you've always given us has been spectacular and we appreciate that.
1: Sometimes you got to play hurt, Bren, you know that. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, all right. Thanks guys. And
0: and before you go, Mac,
2: uh, really happy to see you get this gig. I know you got that coach. Some guys just have that coaching bug and if you don't scratch that itch, you go around the bend after a while, so I'm glad to see you got a got another shot to do what you love doing.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Really appreciate them St. Louis to give me the opportunity.
0: Hey, the Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. I was chatting with Brent just a few days ago. As it's winding down a little bit, he's into the summer months. It's not as crazy as the spring was. Where they were setting all sorts of records. But now is a great time. If you're thinking of selling or buying a new home or a previously owned home, now's a great time to get a hold of everybody. 2022 has been sensational. And you, uh, hey, listen, we have no idea where interest rates are going to go in the next little while. So if you're just kind of sitting on the edge, Now's a good time to jump in. But you know what? Don't hear it from me. Get a hold of Brent or any of his team over at the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. The phone number is really simple. It's 780-464-0075. You can also find them online at McIntoshGroup.ca. Both buyers and sellers can give them a call. They'd love to hear from you. And one last thing. When you do get a hold of them, tell them that the Outsider sent you. So there you go. Great talking with Craig McTavish today of the St. Louis Blues. It just sounds weird. However, he, as he pointed out, played there a year and a half. So he's very familiar with the city, very familiar with the fans, and extremely familiar with a lot of the people still that are inside that organization. So good luck to Mac and a big thank you once again for joining us on our podcast. How difficult yeah. has it been for you or I to phone him out of the blue and say, do you want to come on the podcast? Yeah. It hasn't no, been
2: it's you know and and as we touched on um he's got that he's got that coaching itch and you, you as long as you've got it you got to scratch it and you know he's not even the oldest guy we got Rick Bones going in at age 67 uh wanting to coach again
0: so Winnipeg um, Jets unbelievable you, how about Trots you, by the way Barry you know, Trots
2: yeah, and you wouldn't think he's 67 no. to look at him. No. But uh, you know what? I'm happy to see that for Mac team because, like I said, when he was doing the Moss Pit thing, and that's a lot of fun, or doing the television analyst thing, that gets you into the rink around the players. That's fun, too. But you know what? It's not, I think I put it this way in a piece I wrote at Oilers Nation. It doesn't stir his blood like coaching does. And you can tell. And if you, you know what, as long as you can do it and somebody wants you to do it, why the hell not?
0: Hey, we've had a week to think about the Colorado Avalanche and to watch how they've been celebrating. And as they rightfully should be celebrating, that was a hell of a run for them, hell of a season for them. And they finally get the job done. Uh, you know, there was a lot of emotions. I know a lot of Oiler fans that actually turned against Colorado because they didn't didn't like the way that some of the Colorado guys played against the Edmonton Oiler guys in that seasonal or that postseason run. And I'm thinking, you know what? All that showed me was that Nathan McKinnon had had enough, that Gabriel yeah. Landis had, had had enough that it was time to do what you had to do. And if it meant that it was going to be a little chippy or a little dirty to win, to move ahead, to lift the mug, that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. So I I don't begrudge the Colorado Avalanche for maybe the, uh, the chippy way that they, you know, discarded the Edmonton Oilers. But uh, to me, they were the best team through the entire playoffs and were 100% fully deserving of winning that championship. I actually feel good for teams like that. I like Nathan McKinnon right from his Tim Hortons commercials with Sid, the kid to uh, the way he plays the game. I want to see a guy who's competitive and realizes that I've got to do a little bit more to take my team to the next level. And he did it. And so did a lot of his teammates, Robin.
2: Yeah. Well, and everybody. I think everybody knows this. If they take a little, a little uh, tablespoon of honesty elixir. Yeah. Uh, if that's your team, that's hockey. That's playoff hockey. Yeah. What is the other guys? They're dirty. They cross the line. No, no. That's playoff hockey for better or worse. Uh, and sometimes it's worse. Let's be honest. We are a kinder, gentler society now. And in many ways, that's good. But out on the hockey rink, you know what? It <laughs> The Colorado Avalanche did what they needed to do to win uh, the Stanley Cup. And we've seen the Edmonton Oilers do that. And the Chicago Blackhawks do that and go right down the list of teams that win the cup. It's never clean, easy work lifting that mug. Uh, It's hard, dirty work sometimes. And we saw that. And when you put that willingness to do that dirty work with the kind of talent they have, you get what we got here.
0: It goes way, way back. I remember back in the 80s when uh, Marty McSorley speared uh, Mike, sorry, he, uh, checked Mike Bullard on that one occasion, everything you got to do to advance. I hate to say that you got, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, but we've heard that, that line out there a lot. But anyway, I just, I think that they were the best team through the entire season. And I think they were the best team in the postseason. full marks to Tampa for showing up the way they did. You know, Tampa was pretty close to almost pushing that to another game. So yeah. anyway, but
2: I thought, I thought Tampa had enough experience, as I, as I said before, Uh, one last me of Culpa. I thought they, I I thought they might beat the avalanche in one series. I don't know who the better team is, but I thought for one series, uh, Tampa Bay could be that I'll tell you what though. I think what the Colorado avalanche are also champions of judging from the video and the photos I've seen is they may be the clumsiest
0: Stanley cup. Oh my God. I thought the guys here were bad for a couple of runs. Now,
2: sometimes you see it broken off and you go, oh, I wonder what happened there. Yeah. But have you seen the bottom of the base? It's got like seven different dents in it now. And they started off by piling it up when they were going into the player pile on the ice when he tripped and fell and put the first big dent in it. So I don't know how much of it is is uh, having a big party and how much of it is just being clumsy. But what a hell of a mess that thing is right now.
0: Might be a book in there. What the cup could tell you if the cup could speak. <laughs> Sure. Uh, it, and it, actually, have you seen, though, there's a still photo or a snapshot of the avalanche guys. They're all lined up and they're down on the ice there at center ice, ready to have their big picture taken with the cup. And the picture is right that moment when the cup gets spilled right in front of them. And you can see the dent in the bottom of it. And everybody's like, oh, it's a, it's a priceless photo. It's absolutely classic. And, you know, it's one of those photos where you look at absolutely everyone in that photo just to see the look on their face. Some people are appalled. Some people are shocked. Some people find it the funniest thing they've ever seen. It's a great, great picture. And yep. uh, and I thought to myself, well, that cup's gone through. I think every cup has gone through some horribly difficult times. The, the old yes. Edmonton Eskimo team used to just beat up the Grey Cup on a regular basis when they were winning five in a row. Hey, speaking of football, we don't do a lot of football talk on here. We're pretty much a hockey podcast in general, but... Uh, the Edmonton Elks actually won a game this past week in Hamilton. They were 0-3. They had played three games, and I had yet to watch a game. That worries me a little bit because I'm one of those kids that grew up on the Canadian Football League, and I wouldn't miss a game for anything. And they had played three games. I only saw the last five minutes of their win over the Hamilton Tiger Cats the last five minutes. So I'd watched basically nothing through almost four full games. And I see the attendance numbers are down and I'm just wondering, okay, they went a season where they didn't play last year. They kind of played. And I'm just wondering what is it going to take to get fans revved up again? If they can, they, I don't know, Robin, you have a thought on that. The indifference is amazing.
2: Well, I tell you what, when I don't have any analytics on this, um, stunner uh but my opinion is this and we see it on the we we see it on the uh news on a nightly basis um about lineups at airports and these kinds of things and the connection i'm making loosely is when everybody's trying to get back to normal uh, after a couple of really tough years for everybody right is getting out uh, and traveling uh a higher priority first step to getting back to normal than being at the old homestead and going and supporting your local. I mean, that's just one aspect. What I'm sensing is there's sort of a shoulder shrug going on out there, a, a collective indifference, and that's not meant to crap on the product. Um, I mean, we had Victor Quee on here and I think he's a brilliant guy and he's, his Twitter account's a lot of fun. And I think they've got some smart marketing happening that we haven't seen for a while. But even with that, Bryn, if I'm honest, I'm kind of indifferent uh, about them and about the rest of the league. And that game was on the other night. And I I didn't turn the channel, so I watched it and I I was watching it when the turnover came yeah. and else won it in the last, in that last. I mean it was they were behind the whole damn game, it seemed, um, and they won. Okay, good for them. The other games, it's been. I tuned in to the first couple, and then after that, it's if I if I'm around, if I'm not cutting the grass, if I'm not shopping, and I get a chance to watch, I will. And I am a big CFL fan, and have been for many many years. And I think there's a lot of people in our demographic. Uh, it's a guess again, no, no analytics here, but I think feel the same way. I don't know what their reasons are, whether they want to get to the lake or the cabin or go travel because they haven't had a chance to, but it just seems that after that quick little spurt, BC did the thing with the, uh, who was the band they had on early? I thought that, was I don't know. I didn't
0: even watch the game.
2: But I thought, it, I watched it and I thought it was pretty good. And it was actually a band that wasn't from the 1970s and it had a hit in the last 20 years. It was, <laughs> they, they, were, they were quite good yeah. and uh, it added a spark uh, and their attendance was very good. But man, if you can't get people out to games at the population in a beautiful stadium like Vancouver does, uh, or you know here in Edmonton, those are pretty pretty average crowds in my book. There's something going on that's not good, and I don't have
0: any answers. Uh, but but you may have touched on it, and I heard okay. the expression used: "the Great Reset." And yep. I think you you might be right. It it was easier just to jump right into hockey because the COVID thing appeared to be lessening, even though it's still kind of out there a little bit. We've learned how to adapt to it, but it yep. was it might have been easier just to step in, and we were able to watch hockey during those cold winter months where we hadn't been watching football, but now you're asking people to go out and watch the club in the stadium. And you're right. I think people's priorities are a little different. They want to get out and golf with their buddies. They want to get out to the lake with their family or maybe go camping. Uh, The true test is always with the Canadian football league is. What happens with your attendance and your interest level when you get to Labor Day. And I think this year more than any other year, Robin is going to be, this is going to tell the tale on the feet, you know the 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 future of the league, uh, I'm really going to be watching carefully. But like I said, when I'm tuning out like the way I have, that shocks me and it concerns me greatly. So
2: there's and, a that. Yeah, and and you know what I love. I mean, I'm paying attention to the point where I love the buzz about this Nathan Rourke out in BC. This the quarterback, he's unbelievable, and I watched enough of their game to go, wow, this this kid is something special. Uh, the the uh, Canadian kid who started for the Elks. Uh, Trey. Trey, yeah. Um, he looked like he could get so They won that game on turnover. They won that game on turnovers and defense, though. Um, but there's some interest there, but the package is just not coming together yet for me. Maybe it will. Maybe it's a Labor Day thing. For me, it's always been... Uh, right from the get-go, I love to pay attention. Now, part of it is because I've covered the league uh, some in the past, uh, once hockey was over for me, and I've always enjoyed that. And I, when I do sit down, I still enjoy the games, but it's sitting sitting down and, and with the remote and actually turning on the game that
0: I've been somewhat indifferent about. And I hope that changes because they need people in the seats. Well, I'm certainly I cannot judge Trey Ford and how he's played based on watching only five minutes of one of four games. So yeah. I'm like you. I guess uh, I gotta find a way to get revved up about it, but just thought I'd throw that out there. You might have an opinion on it. Anybody else out there and you can just drop us an email. It's really simple. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, on Twitter, the handle is at Outsiders 2020. You can drop us an email now. We have an email address. And got a couple this week. Thank you to to those guys for reaching out. Really appreciate all the feedback. And 98% of it was positive. And uh, so, so I'll take the 2% negative as well. But the uh, email address is at theoutsidersatshaw.ca. Trust me, I worked at 1260 when we were starting. I've seen a lot of negative emails in my time. So anyway, oh, we- I, I appreciate everything. So once again, at theoutsidersatshaw.ca.
2: What's the... Uh- what was the 2%? I'll
0: find that dirty bastard. Uh, it was, a, it, it was actually, it wasn't really a negative. It was like a man, if something big happens during the week, would you guys just do a mini podcast? Well, we could ah. take a look at that. Like if the Oilers sure. made a big trade or a big sale. Yeah, we could, we could look at that. We are going to do a little refining with things here over the summer months. We're going to take a little time off and then we'll be really nicely focused by the time we get to October, but we'll get into that. We're rolling through the month of July here. So, this might be our only month of summer looking at the way the weather forecast has been lately, but we'll, uh, we'll see about that. Make sure you tell your friends to follow or subscribe us and click on our RSS feed on any of your favorite of your candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, et cetera. And we're also on YouTube. And as you heard off the top and you only heard a few minutes ago, big thank you to, uh, to Brent McIntosh and everybody at the McIntosh group at Remax River City for being with us through the last little while. It's been, uh, it's been a fun relationship with them, and we're always welcome to bring new sponsors on board as well. Your support is greatly appreciated. Robin, that's it for today. Are we good? I think we're real good. Well, then let's get the hell out of here. Talk to you next week. Okay, see you. so road 55